Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Monocle Weekly. I'm Laura Kramer. On today's show, I speak with the French filmmaker Dominique Moll about his multi-award-winning film, The Night of the Twelfth. It's a crime drama that follows two French detectives trying to solve the murder of a young woman. But as the killer constantly evades capture, the case turns into an obsession for the police captain. It's a fictionalized retelling of a real case that haunts the police officers unable to solve it to this day, which was recounted by the French author Pauline Guénat. Dominic started out by talking about the book and how he approached turning it into a film. I was curious to read that book because I had heard that the author, Pauline Guénat, had spent one year with the crime squad in, in Versailles. And really, she went there every day and had observed them. And so the book is the she's describing all kinds of different things that she has observed and witnessed, you know, on crime scenes, on uh, interrogation of suspects, and on the everyday work and everyday life of the police officers and how that work affects them and affects also their personal life. It was a really well-researched book on that subject, and it's not that often that you have an insider's point of view of the police world. So I was curious to read the book uh, just for that. But then when I came across the description of that particular investigation that that is being dealt with in the in the film and which is the last investigation she's talking about in the book so the last 50 pages out of 500 i felt what interested what drew me to that was first that the way that the author described how the main investigator gets obsessed with that particular case and the more so because he can't resolve it. And so she describes how a non-resolved case, what effect it has on the investigator, what kind of frustration or anger or deception or whatever it creates. So that, that, that was what interested me first. And then when we started working on the screenplay with my co-writer, Gilles Marchand, we felt that because it was a femicide and the murder of a young woman, and because the crime squad is is still an almost exclusively male uh, world, we felt that it was interesting to question how those men who work on the violence of other men, how that affects them and how they deal with that and how it questions their own masculinity. So the theme or the topic of violence of men towards women became one of the of the main topics of our screenplay and the film. We're based in the UK, although we're an international station, and here we've had a lot of stories of misogyny within the police force and how that impacts whether it's investigations or indeed crimes that they sometimes commit as well. So we thought it's really interesting timing to put this out. What were some of the challenges that you faced as you were making the film? In regard to that? In regard to that aspect. Well, I must say that, I mean, be it in the book, when I spent, I only spent one week with a crime squad in, in Grenoble, but it still allowed me to see a certain number of things. I didn't witness, and the book doesn't talk about it, although it is written by a woman, misogynic behavior. I mean, specific misogynic behavior. 
I mean, you can have silly or stupid misogynist remarks when they make jokes among themselves, but never, never towards, you know, a victim or, or parents of a victim. But then I think that the crime squad in, in France has a kind of special status. I mean, they're a bit considered as uh, intellectuals, which they are not, but, uh, but they are or as more evolved <laughs> as the basic uh, police officer. I didn't witness it, but I know that it exists. And, and also, I just read a book written by a, a woman journalist who talks about a case of a serial rapist who raped women for over 30 years in the north of France until he got caught, although he was also using always using the same method. And, and she's writing the book from the victim's perspective and not at all from the, I mean, it's not a biopic about the rapist. And it's really frightening to see how, because often it was young girls, teenage girls from poor families, and how no one believes them, and especially not the police. And sometimes, even if it was women police officers who put what they said in doubt and thought, okay, you probably had an exam in school and didn't want to go to school, and so you made that up. And it's really horrifying. So it started in the 80s, and you feel that it's, getting a bit better now. I mean, that the, the Me Too movement also has changed things and how to consider what women say when they say that they have been raped. But there's clearly still a lot of work to do. We were interested in, with my co-writer Gilles, was how, and in, in the evolution of the character of Johan, the, the, the main investigator, is how he becomes aware of that and how be it the fact that when a woman uh, who is a victim and who, when you learn that she had multiple sexual relationships, that quickly the, the idea arises that she's been looking for it or that she's partly responsible for it and things like that. Things that are not specifically linked to the police, but uh, I mean, I think everybody does it. I mean, including women sometimes who might think the same the same thing. And that there's still a problem on how to consider a woman's uh, sexuality when it's not, you know, uh, in the uh, norms of what it should be. This is what we wanted to to describe in, in the evolution of, of Johan and also the fact that he evolves in a all men's world. I mean, it's, it's not by accident that the first time he confides in someone about his doubts and his inner feelings is when he's facing the judge who is a woman. And because this is something that you feel quite strongly in the book and also during the week that I was with the crime squad is that men among themselves, they don't talk. I mean, they make jokes, which doesn't mean that all the stuff that they witness doesn't affect them, but they don't want to show weakness. And so they kind of eats them up from the inside because they don't talk about it. And, and I think that's uh, that was quite obvious. I mean, there are also psychologists which they could go and, and see and talk to, and it's anonymous and, and it's a professional secret, etc. But still, you feel that it's a problem for them to do that because, uh, you know, people might hear about it and say, okay, he's starting to uh, make depression or to become weak or whatever. 
what I like about the evolution of Johan is that when he's in, in the second part of the film, when he's in touch with those women, and even in the first part, when he's with the, the friend of the best friend of the, the victim, you feel that he it makes his brain work and he starts to ask himself questions and to listen. And I think that is probably one of the important things, you know, that Me Too has triggered off. And uh, even if, again, there's still a lot of progress to do, but that some men, and I include myself, start to at least to listen and at least to ask themselves questions. In France, you have this uh, saying, I mean, in relation to Me Too, where you say, Okay, Me Too was great because it has liberated the speech of women. I mean, allows them to speak up. And I heard a, a feminist philosopher on the radio once and she said, it's okay, very good. But that's not, I mean, the most important thing is not to allow women to speak up, but is that they are being listened to and that this, the listening is just as important as the speaking up because they speak up and nobody listens. <laughs> it's kind of uh, pointless. And I felt that made a lot of sense. I wanted to ask, many of your films have been very critically acclaimed and won awards at prestigious festivals and shown in Cannes and everywhere. Indeed, this project, which so far has won six trophies at the Cesar Awards. And I wondered how you handle the pressure of living up to expectations for future projects with this kind of behind you. I think it's easier now than it was when I did uh, with a friend like Harry more than 20 years ago, which was also very successful and won awards. And I think I put after that, I put myself a lot of pressure and I was like, oh, my God, I, uh, I have to do something even better. And, 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 and of course, uh, that is not a good thing to to do. And I feel that now being a bit older and wiser, maybe <laughs> the, the pressure is not as strong. I know that maybe the next film will not be critically acclaimed and but it's not and, and if it's not, it's not a catastrophe. And the, the the important thing is to continue to try to do films the best in the best possible way and trying to put as much work as it in, in possible. But of, of, of course, you have no guarantee of, you know, of the outcome because there's no recipe and it's always mysterious and uh, why a film will suddenly appeal to audiences or, or not. Sometimes it's also just a question of timing. I think, I mean, at least in France, the timing, I mean, we didn't plan it, but it was uh, the fact that this particular topic is dealt with in, in the film contributed to the fact that it appealed to a lot of viewers. And so, but you can, you can never predict it. So I, I tried to now I, I think I'm able to put the pressure aside a little. Well, thank you so much. It's fantastic. And I'm sure your next project will do just as well. <laughs> we'll see. That was Dominique Moll, the director of The Night of the Twelfth. The film is out this week. I am Laura Kramer. Thank you for listening to The Monocle Weekly.